great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? Thank you for your patience. I am on dad duty tonight and had to put the little one to bed. She was very cooperative, but it took me a few more minutes than I thought to get on here. Uh, I thought we could fit in before 7.30, but Ryan, you know me and that whole time thing. Welcome into Shout, the staple show, one day earlier than usual because the Bills are playing on Saturday this week. Six week, six day turnaround to play the Chargers in L.A., Shout is brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. Shop for groceries at Tops, and you could save $10 on participating $50 gift cards with the Tops Christmas bonus program. That's an extra 20% savings on all your holiday gifts just for buying your groceries at Tops. Earn one gift point for every grocery purchase you make of $50 or more now through December 24th. Then redeem one gift point at Tops Checkout for $10 off a $50 gift card to participating retailers like Toys R Us, Cabela's, Sony, Fanatics, Kohl's, Best Buy, and so many more. Um, head over to topsmarkets.com slash Christmas bonus for more information. What is up, Ryan? Hey, not too much. Excited to talk some bills and some big news today from One Bills Drive. Some big news uh, that I think was kind of percolating here over the last couple of days. And Daquan Jones put out a interesting Instagram post today with, uh, I thought uh, you put out a, a message to our Shout Buffalo Bills insiders uh, with the, the Instagram post and it had the emoji with the empty hourglass, which I thought was so fitting. Uh, if you haven't heard yet, Daquan Jones's 21-day practice window has been opened by the Bills, which means he now has three weeks to get back into practice, try to assimilate himself back with the team with the hopes that he can return for the Buffalo Bills in 2023 and maybe 2024. Uh, if it ends up being that Miami Dolphins game, it'll be the first week of 2024. I caught up with Daquan Jones at his locker uh, after practice today, and you know he was beaming, and you, you could just see the excitement. Um, it's one thing to say that this was a possibility and work back towards it. It's a whole nother thing when you actually get to be out there on the practice field and get to, you know, get this close to returning. He's been traveling with the team to games now for the past month. So this has kind of been building to this point, but Ryan, I think we could be looking at maybe the Miami game is uh, uh, a light hope for the bills to, to get him back. Yeah, I, I think it's actually somewhat realistic. You know, obviously with the the Chargers game on Saturday, that doesn't seem likely. I don't know if he, he'd be ramped up in time uh, for the Patriots game after that, but I think you circle that Miami day in what could be uh, a huge matchup, potentially with the division on the line, and, and getting Jones back would be huge for this team, uh, not just because uh, of the game itself and what it could mean, but the fact that we just were talking about Jordan Phillips and how he had to have surgery and – uh, he's going to be out for some time and, and how banged up they are at defensive tackle. So the timing of this is excellent. We know that Daquan Jones early on this year, Matt, was among their defensive MVPs, playing at an extremely high level, 
Uh, he makes life even easier for Ed Oliver, who's had a monster year with and without him. So you just kind of think about the possibilities of what it would mean for Ed Oliver, uh, what it would mean for this defensive line as a whole, and what a boost he would give to this Bills team if he were ready to go for that Miami Dolphins game. He was playing at such a high level when he got hurt that it felt in a lot of ways like this defensive line was going to take a step back without him. And I think that there was a little bit of an adjustment period because the pressure rate, his ability to play against the run was so important to what they did. But I think in some ways, you know, you were kind of alluding to it there. It almost helped Ed Oliver become the guy that he's been for them all season. He's had to kind of take over that singular role of, okay, I'm going to lead this defense. I'm going to be the guy that brings the pressure. I'm going to be the guy that is the, the stout run defender in the middle, and I'm going to let everybody else play off of me. And having Daquan last season, I felt like while it helped at Oliver's game, I wonder how much it – I want to just say like halted – his ascension to that next level. And now that he's reached it, the one big question that I think fans are starting to talk about is like, okay, what does this look like when Daquan Jones enters back into the mix here? Is he going to be 100%? Can the Bills expect him to be the same version of the player that he was? We saw what happened with Von Miller for eight or nine games uh, since he's come back and not being the same player that he was. A little bit of a different injury with the pack, but still I think, you know, worthwhile. I mean, it, that upper body area in terms of torque and, and and hand fighting in the interior of the defense line is very important. So what percentage of a player are you going to get him back to being? I think it's okay no matter what level he's at because now Ed Oliver is who he's been in 2023. Yeah, even if you're getting Jones back at 70 75%, that's a, that's a plus for this Bills team. And obviously different responsibilities too than Von Miller who has to kind of get around the edge, get after the quarterback and – while Jones, you know, can still get out for the QB at times, his, his main responsibilities are to clog up some of the lanes in the middle, uh, push back the uh, the offensive lineman, which he's done a good job of in, in his time here as well. And, you know, listen, the, the pec injury, it could affect his strength. And he's been rehabbing, though, hard. He's been going after this. So I, I'd like to think that his strength is going to be in a good spot. It might just be the part of getting back into football shape and the cardio that goes along with that and being able to stay on the field for – uh, you know, so many reps at a time, so many snaps at a time without being subbed out. Those are the little things that we'll have to kind of keep an eye on. But just getting Jones back, even at 70, 75% would be a big win for this team, in my opinion. You know, it's it's crazy too, Ryan, to look at his stats. And obviously, you always notice him when you bring up pro football focus because his overall defensive grade is a 90.2, which is among the elite uh, at that position. But then you look at his pressure total on PFF, 15 pressures. He's played 113 snaps this year. And in those 113 snaps, he's generated 15 pressures. Jordan Phillips, 391 snaps this season, and he's generated only 19. So just putting that side by side and realizing that Phillips has played almost four times the amount or three times the amount of football this season as Daquan Jones has played, and he only has managed four more pressures on the quarterback. And listen, they're different players. They get paid at a different rate. Um, I think what Daquan Jones has meant to this defense, uh, we, we've talked about, it's been well chronicled. Um, and I think Jordan Phillips is is better suited for that third, fourth defensive tackle, with, with however he ends up slotting in there. And it's going to be interesting because now 
the future outlook for Phillips is also impacted by the wrist injury that he suffered yesterday or on Sunday. Uh, he's had surgery. Uh, it's a week-to-week deal, uh, according to Sean McDermott. And Jordan Phillips said today in the locker room that he's hoping to be back for the playoffs. But he's out for the foreseeable future. So now, if we're just talking about Chargers, Patriots, Dolphins, depending on when Daquan Jones can get back, it obviously steps up uh, the situation for uh, Tim Settle, who I think's mm-hmm. had a pretty solid season overall, with all things considered. And then Puna Ford, maybe getting his first big opportunity here this week. Yeah, Puna Ford, listen, he's been sitting on the inactive list uh, for more more of the season than not. And he, he talked recently about it, saying it's not what he envisioned. It's not what he thought was going to happen when he signed here, but he's going to be ready to play. If the opportunity comes in, well, here's that opportunity potentially. Uh, so it, it's a big moment for him coming up here as early as this week against the Chargers to come in and, and take on that role or take on a bigger role than what he's even had before. Uh, clog up some lanes, maybe show some pass rush, get after Easton Stick, uh, help keep Austin Eckler in, in their run game in check, whatever you can do. But they even have Ilianku on the practice squad, another guy that they could potentially elevate if uh, you know they're looking for another option there. So there, there's still some depth here. That's the good sign. But there's no doubt in my mind that Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, they're they're counting down the days until they can get Daquan Jones back on the field. Good question here from one of our regulars, uh, Michael Partham. Uh, who always comes out to support at the live uh, shout events. We have another one coming up on Thursday. Let's get that plug in for that show right now. We are coming to Verona, New York, uh, 30 minutes outside of Syracuse, uh, Turning Stone Resort Casino. Uh, Come out on Thursday night. We are doing Shout Live 8 p.m. from Turning Stone, their brand-new New New York Rec and Social Center, uh, Social Club, excuse me. We're so excited for this show. If you need more details, hit me up. We put up a post on the website, Syracuse.com and NewYorkUpstate.com. It is my pinned tweet over on X right now. I have some details over my Facebook page as well. Ryan, we're coming to Verona uh, just outside of Syracuse on Thursday night to preview this Chargers game, but also talk Bills and hang out with some members of Bills Mafia. Yeah, it's going to be great to be in central New York, uh, obviously being based out of you know Syracuse.com where all of our work is published. So I can't wait to see who's out there. Can't wait to uh, hang out with some Bills fans on Thursday night. Yeah, Michael says, how would the rotation work if Daquan is back with Linval Joseph now in the lineup? So, you know, I think Linval Joseph at his age is best suited for that backup one-tech role. Mm-hmm. Like I think now – He's also in game shape, right? Like he's come back. He's been playing uh, a, a bit more uh, over the past month and a half now and, and probably is a little bit, you know, fresher than uh, what Daquan Jones is going to be just from the fact that he hasn't played football in three months. So I'd imagine that Linval Joseph probably slots in in terms of snap percentage ahead of Daquan Jones to, from the jump. But I still think that like having him back to me – is more about like crunch time and when you need to have it, especially early on. And I think it's going to be like, a, okay, how does he feel, Jones? How much can he give you? And then you kind of work from there. Yeah, you're not going to try to get him out there for 80%, 90% of the reps right out of the gate. You want to kind of ease him back into the lineup. And that's where having a Joseph is a, a benefit to this team and having some other depth options. Uh, but you also want to be able to ramp him up over – uh, it, let's just say hypothetically we're able to come back for the Patriots game. Start him at a low number, maybe in that first one. 
get him some more in Miami. And if the Bills were to make the playoffs, you know, then you could hope that he could see the bulk of the snaps or a similar percentage uh, to what he was seeing earlier on the season pre-injury because he is one of your best 11 on, on defense. So you want him out there. And at that point, he should be in football shape. Uh, he should be used to, you know, the the uh, the rigors of the game, so to speak. So uh, I really think that uh, the Bills have a, a good situation with the depth that they currently have here, but they're going to also try to get him as many reps as possible to get him back into that game shape. Linval Joseph had the second most snaps of any Bills player this past game. Now, obviously, Jordan Phillips went out in that game, so that might have played into it as well. But I think that they'd probably be hesitant to lean too heavily into a, a large snap share for Settle or for Puna Ford. I think that right now they probably lean back into Joseph a little bit more. He had 30 when he first uh, joined the Bills, and it's kind of been like this kind of dipping line. It's kind of started to come back up the last couple of games. Uh, but again, he's a veteran. I think it's a lot of it's going to have to do with the game situation too. Like how is each player playing within the game, uh, so on and so forth, and, and then kind of go – from there. All right, Ryan, where do you want to go next? Because we had actually a long injury report uh, from the Bills today. Well, I probably want to run through that first, Matt. Why don't we go to that next, talk a little bit about, uh, like you said, a, a pretty sizable injury list. Yeah, so um, you had about six guys that were listed on the injury report that were limited, and A.J. Epinesa, Micah Hyde, both on that. Now, this was a walkthrough today, so that's important to note. The real uh, look that we're going to get at this thing is tomorrow when the Bills put pads on and uh, have their 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 one real real practice of the week. Um, so you had AJ Epinesa and Re and um, Micah High, which I think is huge. That Sean McDermott mentioned that both of these guys are trending in a good direction. They're, yeah. they're improving every day. You had Leonard Floyd with a wrist injury and a rib injury. He was listed as limited. I'm wondering if that's more of just like a a vet listing. Although he did come off the field at one point during the game. Uh, Daquan Jones was listed as a with the peck, uh, and then Dalton Kincaid with the shoulder, which is interesting because they don't have the thumb on there, which they had last week. And I was thinking a little bit in the game on Sunday, two drops for Dalton Kincaid or two should have been catches for Dalton Kincaid. Maybe they weren't both drops. You wonder how much that injury played a part in it. And he's made it a point to say that downplay it and it hasn't been a big deal, but. You know, he's pretty sure handed and, and, and those two plays on Sunday were a little bit eye popping. Yeah. And there was something on the telecast about how he changed his gloves after that second drop. And, you know, I, I don't think he, he didn't have any other targets after that because they were running the ball so effectively. But it, it could have been the gloves that he was wearing. It could have been the thumb injury, not being able to grip the ball the way that maybe he does when it hits him in the hands uh, usually. But you're right. Very uncharacteristic of of him and but maybe a good sign that thumb is not on the injury report, just shoulder for Kincaid. Yeah. And he was actually, this was the, he only got one drop credited to him uh, via PFF. Uh, and I'm not sure. I haven't looked at pro football reference, which is usually a little bit more like, I feel like the PFF is a little bit more liberal with drops than pro football reference. So sometimes I'll see like two drops on pro football focus. And then I'll look at reference and there'll be no drops. So uh, take that for, for what it's worth. Um, if you look at the rest of the injury report, uh, Kyer Elam and um, Justin Shorter, who both are in that 21 day practice window, they are still progressing. 
and they were listed on today's injury report as full practice participants. So trending in a good direction. I'm getting a lot of questions about Justin Shorter, Ryan. And I, listen, I'm not ruling anything out. Like, is there a scenario where Justin Shorter could return this season? Definitely. Like if they see enough in practice and they think that he adds something, knowing that, you know, Deontay Hardy hasn't really been utilized uh, very much and they can find a roster spot for Shorter. Sure. I, I think that that's a possibility. But to me, this has always felt like the Marquez Stevenson um, move where you, you know, find an injury late in the uh, preseason, put him on injured reserve, let him like kind of catch his breath after his first full NFL offseason and, and in preseason, and then bring him back, let him practice with the team for a couple weeks, and then shut it down and kind of push the focus towards 2024. Yeah, based on what we saw from Shorter this summer, I don't know what you would expect him to be able to do coming off of a you know a year where he's been uh, he hasn't played. So I think you kind of redshirt him this year. You have him out here for this twenty one day window. You let him practice a little bit, but the, the real vision for him is the twenty twenty four season. I know that Trent Sherfield hasn't done a lot of free agent addition, but he's a solid blocker. He's been out there on the field. Deontay Hardy can at least return kicks for you. And I know Shorter has that special teams ability to play on special teams on the unit, but he um, doesn't necessarily add the return component. I don't know how high up he could realistically get on the depth chart or factor into that. So, you know, I like the interest in the player. I, I understand that the guy is, you know, was built like an NFL player in college, which you don't usually see. But there, there's still a lot of room for improvement in his game, in my opinion. What is up, everybody? This is Matt Prino from Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast, here to talk to you about Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. Prize Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player staff projections and watch the winnings roll in. Football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. You can now win up to 100 times your money on Prize Picks with as little as four correct picks. You could turn $10 into $1,000 with NBA, NHL, and college basketball entries today on Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app. Download the app today and use code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today and use the code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Um, somebody's asking, oh, sorry. I said, mm -hmm, Ryan, um, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. Take that personally. Um, why is Josh's shoulder? I was just reading this comment here from Sarah. Why is Josh's shoulder still on the injury report? Is there some kind of structural damage? Um, I don't know. I, 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 I the details of the injury haven't really been, um, discussed and it's something that's kind of just been lingering and he's been, you know, I think also he was off there for a little while. And then he reappeared right around the time of that Joe Burrow funky injury, which I wonder if the bills are just doing their due diligence and making sure it's on the report. But I will say 
every practice, like he, this is something new ever since last year with the elbow injury. He has like a trainer that's actually working out his arm and his shoulder going through this whole stretch routine. So I think, um, it's just something that it's, it's lingering. It's something that has maybe affected him, but I don't know if it's affected any throws within the game. He hasn't looked like it's, he's been, um, struggling or laboring at all in terms of delivery. Yeah, it's probably a general soreness as well that you deal with when even in a game where you don't have to throw the ball much uh, as you do on, on a regular basis, he still is taking some hits when he runs with the football. It's probably just, you know, something that's going to linger for the rest of the season. Uh, once he gets to the offseason, whenever that is, he'll have time to rehab and, and get it back. But like you said, we don't know the specifics of it, but I have not seen any throws that he has not been able to make because of it. So that's the encouraging sign. Yeah, Sam Martin appear uh, on the injury report with that knee injury. He took that personal foul penalty on Sunday. So something that to watch there, Dawson Knox on there with a wrist. He was full. Um, Von Miller was not at practice today. He had a family funeral that Sean McDermott um, revealed, said he was looking to get them him back to, the, uh, to Buffalo later today, expected that he'll probably practice tomorrow. So that's kind of a run through of the injury report. Again, though, Ryan, like big, big picture. This is a pretty healthy football team and getting healthier now with the return of Jones. Yeah, long injury list, but nothing on there that I would be overly concerned about. The two names, Hyde and Epinesa, they were listed as week to week. So uh, you want to be optimistic that maybe they come back sooner than you expect and being listed as limited is a, a step in the right direction. But most of those other players, I would think by the end of this week, will have no designation at all. So they are in the right direction in terms of getting healthier at the right time of the of the year. We are getting healthier on the Shout Buffalo Bills insider text line because it's been a little bit of slim pickings the last couple of weeks. I was down with a, with a little bit of sickness over the last five days. You were down with a sickness a little bit. Uh, a week or two ago. And so we've been kind of trying to rally here, Ryan. I feel like we're finally starting to get back to full health and you be can become a shout insider right now by texting 716-528-6727. Uh, that gives you a two week free trial. When you sign up, if you want a month free, if you've been thinking about it and you want to get on the train before the season ends, give me a DM or email me at mprino at nyup.com. I'll give you a free month. Uh, of to become a shout insider, which is brought to you by Carrie C. Byer, attorney with the law offices of Francis M. Litro, located at 237 Main Street in Buffalo, New York. If you or someone you know is seriously injured, give Carrie a call at 716-852-1234 or check out litrolaw.com. All right, Ryan, I went to the insiders for the second half of the show here, and we're going to start with some questions, and we're going to start with Mike Taylor. Our good buddy, I had some wing nuts with him a couple weeks ago uh, when he was in town for a Bills game. Would the Bills sit Ty Johnson this week due to his shoulder and elevate Leonard Fournette? This continues to be one of the most talked about storylines in uh, Bills Mafia. I mean, people want to see playoff Lenny in a Buffalo Bills uniform. I, I think that that's what it comes down to. Ty Johnson came up at, pre at the press conference with Sean McDermott today and he rolled through a bunch of injuries. Didn't mention that. Sal Mayorana followed up and said, anything on Ty Johnson? And Sean McDermott said, no, he's not even on the injury report. He came back into the game on Sunday. 
I don't think we're seeing the Leonard Fournette show anytime soon unless one of these three backs that are up active on the roster get dinged up because it's worked so well over the last couple of weeks. And I think Ty Johnson's worked himself into a very valuable role. And I think he's almost surpassed Latavius Murray on the depth chart. I think you're right on the depth chart part of it. And, you know, Johnson has looked explosive with the ball in his hands. They they gave him some opportunities in the game against Dallas when James Cook needed a breather and he was able to, uh, you know, use the blocks that were in front of him and get sizable gains as well. And he's looked good since day one in this offense. So unless there's an injury to him, you, you don't really want to pull him off the field. I know he got banged up last week. It looked like he was grabbing at the shoulder area. Uh, but to your point, he came back in. He's not on the injury report. I don't think you sit him just because of that. Now, you and I have also talked about the fact that maybe you you talk to Latavius Murray and you say, hey, you know, we, we do just want to get a look at Leonard Fournette. We, we know how valuable you've been to us this year. We also want you to maybe have some fresh legs for uh, uh, the playoff run or uh, against Miami. We want to sit you for this week and just see what he can bring against the Chargers and maybe give him an opportunity there. I, I think that of the, the backs, Murray's more likely to be the odd man out for a week than anyone else. But I'm not saying I see that path at all either because, like you said, this is working right now. Let's go to the next question by uh, from our good buddy RJ uh, over on the Shout Insider text line. When do you guys think they will take the temporary tag off Joe Brady and make him the official offensive coordinator? I noticed that was in your headline today for encouraged, worried. You know, it's something that I mentioned during the game on Sunday. That is like, man, I, I give some real thought to this. So, but the more I've kind of sat and thought with it, you know, this is probably something that's going to take a little bit of time, only from the perspective of. They're in the middle of this run to try to make the playoffs. Um, I'd imagine a contract needs to be negotiated for, um, you know, extending Joe Brady. I'd imagine he was on a two-year deal as the quarterback's coach. So to be honest with you, I don't know if interim comes off the situation until after the season, only because I think the agent and the team are probably gonna have to sit down and figure that all out. And also depending on how this thing finishes, I mean, it's going to be really interesting. It might be like a bit of a race for Joe Brady's services. And, and, and maybe he's not in any rush to um, come to the table. Now, I don't think he's necessarily interested in walking away from this offense led by Josh Allen. And he's talked so much about how much that's kind of really motivated him since things didn't go well in Carolina. And he's been able to bounce back in Buffalo with Josh Allen and company. But that's something to think about as, as this thing kind of hangs over everything as these 30 point performances start to roll up here. Yeah. And, and listen, you might not want to leave, but you can also leverage interest into a better contract. That's another part of it too. If you're Brady uh, and his agent, whoever that may be, you know, Hey, here's a guy that saved your season. Hypothetically, if the bills get into the playoffs, he was able to, to make Josh Allen look like Josh Allen. He unlocked James cook, this, that, and the other. So you know, there's a lot there. And there's probably also the Rooney rule in terms of you fired your offensive coordinator, you make him the interim, you probably still have to meet those requirements. I would assume Matt. I know in 2020, they expanded the Rooney rule to coordinators as well. So uh, just an, kind of another wrinkle there that I, I'm sure the bills have to check off the list. So in, in the article, I did say, you know, as soon as they possibly can, uh, because it might not be an option this year. It might be something that I have to wait into the offseason to do. But he has certainly checked every box in terms of creativity. He said today that 
you know, the game plan wasn't to run the ball as many times as they did necessarily, but he adjusted on the fly because if it's not broke, you know, why are you going to go out there and try to, to change it? So he, he's kept giving James Cook the ball and uh, it was working. So adjusting in game, that's a big thing too. We've talked about adjustments, second half adjustments, in-game adjustments. He's shown that he can do that. There's no reason for me to believe that the Bills aren't going to do everything in their power to make him their full-time offensive coordinator once the season ends. Indeed. I, I said indeed instead of mm-hmm there, Ryan. Did you like that? Trying to th- I did. throw everybody off the off the trail. Uh, so I put out to the insiders to uh, send us in some questions. And you could send in questions via uh, the insider text line, or you could send me a video, and we will play the video right in the podcast here. And so we got a couple here coming from a few different folks. Uh, our first one comes from David. Let's play this one here. And see how this ends up turning out. So uh, this is David from Peoria, Illinois, although I'm in the Western New York area for the next couple of weeks. So my question, you all have everything covered with regard to uh, what's going on this week, next week. And oh, by the way, this robe, Wegmans, fantastic. Uh, so I guess uh, my question is more of a fun type of a, what do you think type of a question? So what do you think? Who's on the team next year? Gabe Davis, Vaughn Miller, or Matt Ariza. What's more likely? What do you think? So uh, if you have time for that, great. Uh, otherwise, I mean, I'm sure you're going to do a great show and go Bills. David, my man. Great, great question there. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into this thing. And man, the uh, just the the aura around David strutting onto the podcast in his bathroom Bro, like an it. absolute savage. I loved it. Shout out to David. That's that, that was awesome. Um, so Gabe Davis, who is entering his contract year this year, uh, headed into a free agency likely in the offseason. Von Miller, who is next year will be the third year of very hefty six-year deal with a lot of guaranteed money, or Matt Ariza, who's not in the NFL or on the Bills right now. Who is the most likely to be on the Bills in 2024? I'll start with Von Miller just from the the money part of things. Now it's interesting because there's this little wrinkle involved with his whole off the field situation. That's kind of popped up uh, here over the last couple of weeks. How does that whole situation play out? Do we get more information? Do we get more details? I actually went up to Von Miller after the game on Sunday and asked him to talk for, I think it was the sixth time now. And he said, no. And he said he appreciated it and that it's coming. So he's plan. I take from that that he's planning to talk soon. Maybe we'll have a, a better understanding of that whole situation that happened in Texas a couple of weeks ago. But that plays into it and kind of makes it interesting because if you're just talking the money part of it and not and you remove the 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 arrest and everything that happened there, I think Vaughn is a slam dunk to be back on the roster next year, just from a money perspective. But if anything goes awry in that area and more information comes out and the Bills have to make a hard decision, then I'd probably pivot to Gabe Davis. Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it in terms of who would be number one on that list. It's Von Miller because of the money that they are locked into for next season. It was essentially a three-year contract in terms of where they have the wiggle room to get out of it. So next year being year three, and unless they are able to void those guarantees, uh, I feel pretty confident he'll be a part of this roster in 2024. Uh, if I were to pick someone after that in terms of number two, 
I would lean Gabe Davis, but I'm not writing off the idea of Matt Ariza because the Bills stayed in close contact with him for the past year. Uh, I think that they do have a punter problem. Sam Martin's every now and then he'll deliver a great punt, but there's uh, some duds in there as well. Uh, even though they're not a team that punts a lot, having a guy with that leg strength that's been cleared in, in this case, uh, I, I think that that's something that'd be intriguing, at least for competition for Sam Martin. A punter is not going to cost much to add to your roster either. And, and Gabe Davis, I, you know, I don't want to have say that he's number three because I, I could I could easily put him at number two, but it's going to come down to what kind of money he can get in free agency. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Bills say, you know, we we are willing to give you X amount of dollars, but go see what else is out there. And it just takes one team to fall in love with you. It just takes Brian Dable and the Giants to say, hey, you know, we've worked well together before. We need some wide receiver help here. We'll pay this much money. Uh, and he might just be as good as gone. We are, we heard some comments from his, his mom on social media lately or recently talking about how he hasn't been a factor in the offense because he hasn't been getting utilized or targeted. And not that she's speaking on his behalf or anything of, of that sort, but you know you can look and he has not been involved as a receiver much as of late. He's been very good as a blocker, uh, but I, I'm sure that he wants to go somewhere where he can get big money and also be more involved in the passing attack. I've never been more comfortable with the idea of the bills moving in a different direction. Um, mm. Just because I think we've seen the Trent Sherfield experience, which I think offers a similar structure of a player to how they want to use Gabe most of the time. And to me, the pivot here that I think, as I look past this season, might be, okay, you have a young tight end that you're grooming to be a weapon in Dalton Kincaid. Maybe start to build the offense around him a little bit more. Maybe the the twilight of Stefan Diggs' career is going to be in the slot, right? You're going to move him from the boundary to the slot, kind of a la a CD Lamb. They do a lot of work with him out of the slot uh, in Dallas. And then you look at some other options like, Go out and maybe bring in a Mike Evans or something like that. Somebody that's super consistent, that can win on the outside. It's a good boundary option. And then on the other side, you got to draft a wide receiver in the first or second round. I don't want to hear any more things about it. You have to be aggressive with that draft pick. I mean, once we hit the offseason, Ryan, I'm spending three months studying this wide receiver class because I think it's got to be a, a top 60 pick at wide receiver for the Bills in 2024. And, and listen, at least on paper, this is a pretty deep group at wide receiver. So the Bills could realistically wait until round two. Uh, I think round one, though, is the time to go get it. You're not going to get Marvin Harrison Jr., but there's a lot of really good players uh, that are going to be available in this draft class. So, you know, go out, be aggressive, get a guy in round one, and then round two, maybe you want to attack defensive tackle because of the depth there. Safety is a real concern in terms of – uh, the longevity of that position and who they currently have. Uh, so th there are other areas that, yes, they have to attack, but there's, I agree, there's no position bigger than wide receiver for this team because you want a clear-cut wide receiver number two next year, and you want someone that could be the heir apparent to Stefan Diggs in terms of becoming that wide receiver one for Josh Allen. Cool comment here that you starred for us, Ryan, and I'm going to get it up on the on the show here. Andrew Spicer watching from the barn from Dartmoor, South West England. I'm sorry if I pronounced that in, incorrectly. Love you boys. Won't miss a show. Even when we are assisting 
a birth of a calf. Wow. I can just imagine Ryan's beautiful face in the background as the one of the joys of life occurs in the barn. Andrew, thank you so much for your support, my man. I feel like I'm there. I feel like I'm there. I love it, Andrew. Very cool. What would you do if you were there, Ryan? Would you be able Uh, to help? No, I'd be very squeamish and probably trying to find a way out. But I'd be there for moral support. So if Andrew asks you to, you know, hold something or push something or put your hand somewhere, you're not going to be able to participate in that is what you're telling us. Nope. I'm going to tag you in, Matt, because you're right there, right there with us. I can see you just getting right involved. <laughs> oh, awesome stuff. It always blows us away, though. Like when people reach out, like we had somebody from Iceland come to one of our live yeah. events a couple months ago. Uh, obviously I've documented my relationship with the, with the boys from Brazil, you know, met people from Mexico, Australia, all these different places. It's, it's super cool. So whenever we see stuff like that, um, it's super awesome. Uh, we got a couple more questions that we're going to get to here. Let's bring up, um, well, let's go to Joel Young here. Uh, one of our YouTube insiders, could the bills get Mike Evans and listen, I bring him up it's it's going to be complicated because he's going to cost some money. This is his last bite of the apple and joel thank you so much for becoming a subscriber to our our youtube channel here we appreciate you um you're probably looking at something where we had earmarked the money for gabe davis before some of the dip here over the last year and a half somewhere between 15 to 20 million dollars per season you could probably mess around with that first year and bring the cost down a little bit uh but i guess it it comes down to all right do you want to Make that kind of investment, knowing what you have in Dalton Kincaid and and maybe the possibility of drafting a wide receiver early and wanting to feature that player. You're already playing Stefan Diggs, um, $25 million per season. Uh, It's a complicated situation. I mentioned him just because, to me, that would be the perfect fit on the boundary. Yeah, perfect fit, but making the financials work would would be very difficult for Buffalo. I'm not sure they'd be able to do that, I think. Uh, there might be some other, you know, big name passing attacks out there that could get him under their their salary cap, and uh, he might want to go there. Not that he wouldn't be interested in playing with Josh Allen, but like you said, this is probably his last big contract that he's going to get in this league. Uh, so he's going to want to make sure he can get every penny possible. All right, so let's get to this next video from Kyle Gordon. Sends it in here. Um, it's a good one. Uh, it, it's complicated, though, so we'll see if we can kind of piece our way through it here, Ryan. Here we go. Share. Um, trying to figure out the uh, scenarios for a 10-7 and 7 playoff. Obviously, we want to win out, and uh, I think we have a you know, real good path to that. But if we don't win out, what is our best? best path to a 10 and seven playoff entrance. And I would say our most realistic path. That's my question. Thank you, Kyle, for that one. And um, it was a little bit low. Uh, maybe I needed to turn the volume up a little bit on it. I don't know. Uh, but basically what Kyle was asking, like, what is a 10 and seven scenario for the bills to make the playoffs? And it's complicated, Ryan, because they don't hold the tiebreaker win with a lot of teams that are that they're tied with right now. So you look at, you know, Cleveland, who has a six and three conference record. Say they w- lose two of their last three. They're getting in over Buffalo because they haven't played and they have um, six AFC wins. Um, 
I don't think that uh, Buffalo can catch them uh, in the AFC uh, department. You have Cincinnati sitting there at eight and six, Indianapolis at eight and six, Houston at eight and six. Um, of those three, Cincinnati has the most difficult schedule. But man, have they been pesky? Uh, I will say some of the news that have that has come out today uh, around Jamar Chase. I believe Jordan Schultz had a report that he has an AC joint uh, issue, and that could keep him out over the next week, maybe missing the next two games. If that ends up being the case. I think Cincinnati's playoff hopes are significantly affected. But honestly, Ryan, I think even if the Bills go 10-7 and seven and say they lose one of the next two games, I still think there's a path to the playoffs, not even considering the wild card, because I think you could sell me on the Dolphins losing out to end their season, which would put them at 10-7, and seven, the Bills at 10-7, and seven, which would win the tiebreaker with two wins over the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, that's the most likely scenario if we're talking 10 and 7. It would be just winning the AFC's crown. And, you know, Miami's going to be playing a, a ticked off Dallas Cowboys team. And uh, I, I've heard from some Bills fans saying, well, you know, the Dolphins have Mostert and uh, Achain and, and a very talented running group. Who's to say they can't do exactly what Buffalo did? Both are very talented backs. There's no doubt about that. Mostert setting a team record for most t- touchdowns in a season. Uh, but it doesn't mean that they're going to be able to drop the same scheme, the same type of plays, the way that the Bills were able to bring Dawkins across to, to pave, for, uh, pave the way for Cook and Spencer Brown on the other side of the field. Just because they have a good rushing type doesn't mean that they can execute it the same way that the Bills did. So I could see the Cowboys knocking off Miami for sure. And then you have Baltimore uh, for Miami the week after that. And, and Baltimore right now is in the driver's seat for the number one seed in the AFC. So they're going to want to make a statement there. And uh, it could very realistically come down to that uh, last week of the season against Miami and, you know, win and you're the AFC champ and uh, AFC East champs that is. And listen, if Miami was the loser in that scenario, I I would love to see the tiebreak because I wouldn't be surprised if they still made it in. Uh, I I did see some, some, I one of the beat reporters that, that we've mentioned before from Miami, and, he, and I think it said even if they lost all their games, they still have 15% chance, Joe Shad, of making the playoffs. So I think with tiebreakers, they might also uh, have, have a chance. So, But for the Bills, it's definitely winning the AFC East. Good, good comment here from Walter over on YouTube. The Jags are now something we need to look at if we're talking 7C. The Jags not winning the division is a potential problem. Uh, and they may be with uh, Lawrence, which they had the tiebreaker over the Bills. They beat him earlier in the season, uh, so that there's that problem. Problem, and you're adding potentially another team into the mix. You know, Denver losing last week was massive because that that kind of eliminates a team. Um, it doesn't eliminate them. They could still go on a run if we're talking about ten and seven. But at least now, if the Bills win out, that's a team that you don't have to contend with. Uh, you know, in that same pot from a wild card perspective. Listen. I don't know if I trust the, if I'm looking at all these teams, right. And we could go through their schedules really quickly uh, to talk about it briefly, but the Houston Texans to me in December, we're going to face issues to begin with because they're, they're an unproven team. They're a young team. They got to go and host the Cleveland Browns this week that have just kept kept finding ways to win. Then they host the Tennessee Titans. Then they're at Indianapolis uh, the final week of the season. So you figure that that Cleveland Browns game is a loss potentially, right? 
or they yeah, lose I Tennessee mean, one of those games, and then the Indy game might eliminate one or the other. Right. I, I see this week as a loss because last I read, it looks like they're still preparing for Case Keenum to start again. Mm. And, uh, you know, listen, kudos to Keenum and the Texans for winning this past week, but I watched parts of that game last week. Uh, he threw what should have been an interception right near the goal line late in that game, and the receiver ripped it out of the defender's hands. Uh, they would have lost that game otherwise and not even forced to go to OT. So uh, I would like the Browns in that one. But Joe Flacco also, despite his final stat line, had his struggles in that game. And the Browns uh, really kind of struggled to find their way for the first three quarters of that match before coming back on. But yeah, I think the Texans, for as fun as they've been this season, with Stroud and the concussion protocol still, still experiencing uh, symptoms with the fact that some of their big receivers are, are hurt and out. They could experience some problems here late down the stretch. Indianapolis is at Atlanta this week, and Arthur Smith is coaching for his life, uh, yeah. for his job. Uh, so I think that's an interesting situation. I wonder if they finally deploy B. John Robinson one week after I got eliminated from the fantasy football dynasty playoffs. That would be great. Um and then uh, they go. They host Las Vegas, uh, the Raiders, who are coming off of a 60-point drubbing uh, or offensive explosion against the Chargers, and then they finish with the Texans, like I mentioned. Uh, and then the other schedule, if we look at Cincinnati, who have the toughest schedule remaining of any of these teams, at Pittsburgh, at Kansas City, and then home to the Browns in Week 18. And the Browns could potentially be playing for, you know, uh, the fifth seed, like depending on what happens with some of these other teams at the top, Baltimore, they could be playing for the division if they went out. Like, it's not crazy. I did one scenario on the ESPN machine that had Cleveland as the number one seed in the AFC. So anything's possible. Yeah, they're going to be playing. They have, you know, reason to play in that matchup. And there's a lot of reason to think that, you know, maybe the Bengals win another one this weekend. It's Mason Rudolph at quarterback for the Steelers. But I also could see the Steelers playing really ticked off, and I could see that defense causing some trouble uh, for Jake Browning. And Browning's been a fun story, but uh, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows last week against the Vikings. He did more than enough to win the game, but had Nick Mullins not uh, turned over the ball twice in the first half when they were in field goal range in both instances, again, that's a game that probably doesn't go to overtime, doesn't end the way that it does. So, I could see a lot of these teams that have the tiebreakers over the Bills dropping a game or two in down the stretch, which will obviously help them. You know, the Bills can only handle their own business and hope that everything else falls into place, whether that's winning the AFC East or sliding into one of those wildcard spots. Last quick thing before we get out of here, Brian uh, Domster asks, what if Miami loses to Dallas and Baltimore and the Bills win against the Chargers and the Patriots? Would the Bills have the division locked up even with a loss to the Dolphins? No. So what ends up happening there is the Bills have eight wins and the Miami Dolphins have 10 wins. So if the Dolphins lose two and the Bills win win two, they'll both have 10 wins going into week 18. If the Dolphins win, they'll go to 11 wins and the Bills will stay at 10, which will give them uh, the AFC East title. So no matter what the scenario is over the next two weeks, if the Bills don't win in Week 18, they have no chance to win the division. Yeah, and that's just it. And listen, Josh Allen has had Miami's number for the majority of his career. You're not going to have to deal with the blistering heat that you usually would see in September. It's still warm in Miami in, in January, but it's not going to be anywhere close to being the same. So 
Uh, you like it from a- that aspect and the, the fact that they flipped and that could really be advantageous for the Bills this year. So much to get into over the next couple of weeks as we follow this playoff push for the Bills. We got you a live show on Thursday night, uh, Turning Stone Resort Casino in Verona, New York. Come out, hang out with me and Ryan. December 30th, get it in your calendars. We come to the brand new location of Wingnuts in Amherst, 1402 Millersport Highway. I'm going to put details in a link in the description on YouTube and all the audio platforms as well. Come out and hang with us. It is going to be a massive event. It's bigger than Froth, so we can fit more Bills fans in there. We're going to make our way around. We're going to do the live show. It's going to be a huge event the night before the Patriots game. Uh, We cannot wait for it. For Ryan, I'm Matt. We will see you at Turning Stone. Thursday night, come on out or watch live right here. Take care, everybody.